Genesis chapter 39. And let's begin reading in verse number 1. Genesis chapter 39, verse number 1, the Word of God says, Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. He was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught, that, aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. There was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Let's look back at verse number 4. The Word of God says, And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day, and thank you for your precious word. I pray now in these next few moments that your Son would gain glory and that your people would gain truth that would change their lives. Help us to open our hearts to you. And, Father, we'll be sure to thank you for all that you'll do. We ask it now in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at the life of Joseph, I've been spending some time meditating and pondering on some truths out of the life of Joseph. Joseph's life can be preached in a lot of different ways. You can certainly see the clear typology in the life of Joseph that presents to us uh, the Son of God. I would say this, that Joseph presents to us Christ in his dispensational capacity. In other words, you see, uh, as it were, sort of the grand scheme, the large scale of the ministry of Christ to humanity 
in the life of Joseph. Certainly we could preach about hardships and trials in the life of Joseph. Maybe we could preach about forgiveness possibly from the life of Joseph. But as I was studying his life, one overwhelming theme became apparent to me, and it was the thought of stewardship. I said a little bit about it this morning, but I want to say something about it here. And, and I want to give you a few things, a few truths to sort of stick in your pocket and keep with you over the next few weeks as we look at Joseph's life. Joseph was a man that was a faithful steward over his circumstances. Sometimes when we think of stewardship, we think of money. Certainly there is a stewardship responsibility in our relationship with money. Sometimes as a steward... We think of the idea of time, and certainly we are to be a good steward, redeeming the time, uh, because the days are evil. But what we find Joseph being a faithful steward of in his life is of whatever circumstances that Joseph was placed in. You know, something interesting you'll find in the life of Joseph is that Joseph really didn't get to make very many decisions about Joseph's life. He grew up in his daddy's home. He was a 17-year-old boy when his brothers took him and sold him into slavery. He was carried down into Egypt against his will, we assume, and sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar, the Bible says, was an Egyptian. Have you ever wondered why it was that the Bible says Potiphar was an Egyptian? Don't it just make sense he'd be an Egyptian? He's in Egypt. But actually what's being denoted by that, uh, and I guess there would be some debate about this, but, you know, i got the pulpit, so it'll be my opinion. Uh, at that time in Egypt, there was a line of what they called the shepherd king. And uh, they were actually not Egyptians, but Phoenicians. They were a Semitic group of people that had uh, come down uh, from uh, the Middle East and had usurped the authority there in Egypt. That's the reason later on it goes on to say about Joseph and about the children of Israel that there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. It's not saying, I mean, that a Pharaoh rose up that didn't know who Joseph was. Anybody would have known who Joseph was. The man redeemed the nation of Egypt from their calamity. It's not saying that he didn't know Joseph uh, personally. Of course he didn't know Joseph personally. It had been 450 years. But what it means is there arose a Pharaoh that did not regard the kindness of Joseph and did not rule with that taken into consideration. You ever wonder why the Bible says that a shepherd is an abomination in Egypt? Uh, the reason why, and that's why the children of Israel, or the family of Joseph, rather, uh, and Jacob wound up in the land of Goshen, which was the best part of Egypt, but was also uh, about as far away as you could be from the Mecca and the heart uh, of uh, Egypt. They told him, said, we're shepherds. And because of that, the shepherd king that was on the throne, the shepherd pharaoh, placed them in the best part of the land, but also far away from the populated areas there in Egypt. And so what we find in the life of Joseph is that God put him in a situation that he was not expecting. Now, I don't know about you, but my circumstances are usually not, not what I would prefer. Every single one of us finds ourselves and say, I'm not saying God's not good to me. I'm not saying that there aren't times when things are, are just wonderful. But most of us, every single one of us, in fact, would say, if we were given the question and, and given the chance... Would you like to change something about your circumstances? There's not a single one of us that wouldn't say, well, yes, yeah, sure, there's some things about my situation in life or about my circumstances that I choose to change if I could. But what we find about Joseph is as we study the life of Joseph, we don't really find any complaint upon his lips. We certainly don't find any laziness in his life. But we found a man that saw his circumstances 
as being sent down, not from his brethren. You remember what he said to his brethren? He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You know the key to serving God in, in any circumstance is understanding that all circumstances come from God. That's the key to serving God in any circumstance. And I, I don't really know how this is going to go tonight. I, I want to give you some truths from his life and this, this passage. But what I really want you to gain an understanding of tonight is the idea of stewardship in the midst of servitude. Joseph was not where he wanted to be, but he served God still. Joseph had no reason to believe everything. I mean, we, we have the benefit of reading the end of the story. We know what happens with Joseph. Things actually go from bad to worse in his life. He goes from Potiphar's house to the prison house. It's only after the prison house that he winds up in the palace, but he does get there. And he winds up being the second most powerful man in the entire world and being very wealthy and, and uh, ha- having a wife and two children. And, and God blesses him through the midst of this. But Joseph couldn't see that far ahead. As far as Joseph knew, he'd die the servant of a man named Potiphar. But he served God still. Here's the question I have for you. Are you willing to serve God no matter what your circumstances are? Let me tell you something. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. If we wait till we can do everything to do anything, we'll wind up never doing anything. If we wait till we can do everything to do something, we'll wind up never doing anything. Joseph didn't wait till everything worked out to start serving God. Joseph served God wherever he was at. And therein lies the control that he had over his destiny. You know, that God has made some promises that if we'll be faithful in the small things, He'll give us the bigger things. My old preacher used to say it this way. You know, folks want God to enlarge their space. Uh, if, you, if you'd sweep the corner you've got, God might give you a bigger room. And the truth of the matter is, we don't have a lot of say in our circumstances, but we do have a lot of say in what we do with our circumstances. And in Joseph, we see a man that though his life literally went in the worst possible direction, still he chose to serve God. Still he chose to do what he could. He did not choose to despair over what he couldn't. He chose to do what he could and to serve God in the situation he found himself in. So we find in Genesis chapter 39 a picture in Joseph of stewardship in servitude. Now, if the Lord will let me over the next two Sunday nights, I want to preach next Sunday night on stewardship in suffering, and then finally in stewardship in sovereignty. But tonight I want us to notice Joseph determining to serve God and seeing the service he was doing as a service to God in the house of a man by the name of Potiphar. Now, here he is. He's brought down into Egypt. He's been bought by Potiphar, and he has an opportunity. Let me say that every obstacle we face, and I promise you this isn't a motivational speech tonight, but there are some things that you're going to hear that are going to sound sort of like a motivational speech because they're true nonetheless, that every obstacle we face is an opportunity. There's a choice to be made. Every time we're faced with an obstacle, with a difficulty, we have a choice that we have to make. Joseph was just the same way. And I want you to notice first off tonight his commitment in the midst of this trial and this suffering. Joseph made his mind up that there were three things he wanted to do with his life, three things that he could do with his life. Now listen, there's a lot of folks that never do anything for God because they're waiting for the skies to clear and for their schedules to get empty and for the path to get easy. And they'll never serve God because that's never going to happen. Uh, There's some folks that sit around lamenting the things they wish they could do instead of implementing the things that they can do. And Joseph had three things. He could not control where he lived. He, there was never, Joseph never once in his life picked where he would live. 
I suppose when he grows to prominence in Egypt, he could have chose to, to leave Egypt. Certainly he did make provision after he died for his bones to leave Egypt, go to the promised land. But by and large, Joseph never got to pick where he lived in his life. He went from being a teenager to being a slave, to being a prisoner, to being a sovereign over the land of Egypt. He never had a choice, never had to say, always carried about by the whim of man and the will of God. But in the midst of that, there were three things he said, I can do to glorify God, three things that I get to control, three things that I determine that no one else determines for me. I want you to notice, first off, that Joseph determined to serve his master and thereby serve the Lord. Look what it says in verse number 4. The Bible says, And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. Now, we find out as we go a little further that he did not just serve him, but he served him in such a capacity that Potiphar made him the overseer of his house. That means he diligently served. In other words, I don't know about you, but it wouldn't make a very good servant someone that had a bad attitude, would it? You wouldn't want somebody to be your servant if every time you said, I'd like this fixed or I'd like that fixed or I'd like this cleaned up, if you always got eyes rolled at you and a huff and a puff, that wouldn't make a very good servant. I don't think that Joseph got to the place he got to with a bad attitude. I think he got there with a good attitude. I don't think he got there with laziness. Doesn't make a good service, a servant someone that has to be told a hundred times or someone that when they do it, they don't do it well. See, Joseph understood this, and we find this truth later on. And this is a double-edged sword, so I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. It cuts both ways. The Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. Now, if the Lord's with us, and the Lord is with us, he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Then that tells me this. He's a great comfort, but he's also watching everything that takes place in our life. The Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, it do it with all thy might. We're do all things under the glory of the Lord. Everything that we do, we ought to do in such a way that would bring God glory. It doesn't matter what it is, if it's sweeping floors, if it's cleaning toilets, if it's pulling weeds, it doesn't matter. And by the way, we find this, that Joseph, because he would do those things and serve God when no one was watching but God, God put him in a place where he was the most important man in Egypt. But he determined that where he was at, he was going to serve God to the best of his ability. There's lots of folks that pretend that it's their circumstances hindering them when it's really just flat-out laziness. And it's not that they could be doing everything, because nobody could do everything, but they could be doing something. We all can be doing something. It doesn't matter who you are. We all can be doing something. I was studying the life of Mephibosheth. I preached on him on Friday, and, and uh, if the Lord will help me to, I, I'd like to preach another message on him sometime real soon, but... Did you know that Mephibosheth goes by a different name in 1 Chronicles chapter 8? Mephibosheth means dispeller of shame. But in 1 Chronicles chapter number 8, you know the name given to him is Meribel. Do you know what that means? It literally means contender against Baal. Well, that's a pretty lofty name for a crippled up dead dog. But Mephibosheth understood this, that he had the ear of the king and he had the audience of the court. And so to the best of his ability, he was going to try to serve God in his capacity and try to fight against those that were enemies of the Lord. If there was ever anybody that you'd look at and say, well, they couldn't do anything. And by the way, there's a good chance because in First Chronicles chapter 8, he calls himself Mephibosheth. Whenever David says Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth answers. We never have it recorded that he called himself Meribel. Very likely that's a name that was given to him posthumously. Most likely that was a name that was given to him by generations following because they looked back at what he had accomplished. Scripture is silent on a lot of it. But what we do know is this, that he did what he could 
instead of complaining about what he couldn't. Joseph said, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do what I can to the best of my ability. Then notice number two, he determined to serve, but he determined to succeed. You know, there's nothing wrong with success. Success can become an idol like anything, but we ought to determine to do the best we can and to succeed at whatever our hand is set at. I know what Joseph would have probably rather been doing. There's no doubt he would have rather been back in the pasture lands of Canaan, watching over his father's flock, or maybe having his own flock. Uh, But here he is. He's in Egypt. He's in the house of Potiphar. So he makes up his mind that because that's what God set his hand to do, he's going to try to succeed at. Look what verse 5 says. The Bible says, And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. In other words, Joseph was a success at what he was doing. He was such a success that the Bible goes on to say that Potiphar didn't even know what belonged to him other than the bread that he ate. He literally committed everything into Joseph's hand because he knew that if it, if it got into Joseph's hand, it would prosper there because the Lord was with him. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it's the will of God for you to get a bigger car or a nicer house or a better paying job. But I will tell you this, that it's the will of God for you to do your best for the glory of God wherever you're at and whatever you're doing. And I believe it's the right mindset to say we ought to succeed to the best of our ability. He said, I don't want to just get in and and wait it out. I don't want to just get in and bear it or endure it. But I want to try to do my best in whatever situation. Then notice the third thing. He determined not only to serve and to succeed, but to show God in his life. This is interesting. does not say this in these words concerning Joseph in the prison. It does not say this in these words concerning Joseph in the palace. But in Potiphar's house, it does say this. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. In other words, Potiphar knew that God was real, and that God was with him. You know what ought to be our chief goal in whatever circumstances of life we find ourselves in? is to be a light for the Lord Jesus Christ. For men and women and boys and girls to see our lives and to know there's a God in heaven and that we know that God. There's a lot of things. We don't know what happened with Potiphar. We really have no, no clue as to how his life ended. I suppose secular commentators might give us some insight but we really do not know what happened to him. But we do know this, that that the time that Joseph spent in his house, we don't know how long Joseph was in his house, but however long it was, we know that Joseph gave him a clear testimony that God was real. Now, we have a better testimony we ought to give. We live in in a day we ought to convey to people not just that God is real, but that Jesus Christ is real, that He's His Son, that they can be saved. I'm aware of that. But this is the main thing that Joseph said. I want people to know that I'm in touch with God and that God has His hand on my life. You know, sometimes we keep secret that we're a Christian because it's easier to do that. See, there's not as much accountability if we just keep secret that we're a Christian. And I was joking with somebody. We were talking about uh, the house offer and and different things like that. And and, uh, somebody said, you know, well, I always want to act such and such a way, but, you know, they know I'm a Christian and... And, uh, you know, I always want to try to keep a good testimony. I said, well, I, I just don't let people know. That way I can be carnal. Amen? But really, that's how we think sometimes. There's a commitment when we allow people to know that we know and love God. Joseph said, I'm not afraid of that commitment because I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to be lazy and I'm not going to be good for nothing. 
I've made up my mind to serve the Lord and to do this as unto Him. Let me tell you something. You won't serve very long if you're serving for people. Because they'll fail you, they'll mess up, you'll see them be lazy, you'll see them do the wrong thing. Joseph understood God was with him and that God was watching him, that God expected something of him. Let me tell you something. It'd fix our faithfulness issues if we'd realize that it's God we answer to and that He's aware. I, I, I gave up early on in ministry in, in trying to, to bribe and browbeat people into, into serving or working or doing or being at church because it just does no good. I mean, even if you manage to drag them through the door, you've really done nothing because what they've done isn't pleasing to God. They've done it for you. And that's not pleasing to the Lord. But I'll tell you right now that the reason that we struggle with those things is because we don't have it always present in our mind that God is aware and God knows. Our excuses may be good enough for a church family. They may be good enough for our, our blood family. They may be good enough for our co-workers. They may be good enough for our own conscience. But God knows the heart, just as He knew Joseph's heart. And Joseph understood, if God knows my heart, then I want my heart to be pure and clean before Him. And I want to show Him forth in this land that I'm in. So we see his commitment. Then I want you to notice the second thing. We see his character. In the next few verses, look what it says in verse number 7. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that Joseph, that, uh, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. She said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. You know, our character shines forth when we're tested. In fact, if we were to use another word along with that word character, we might use the word integrity. Uh, when I think of the idea of the character of something, there's a lot of different ways that we think about it. I think the immediate thing is the moral fiber of an individual. But sometimes that word character can be used concerning the strength of something. For instance, maybe the tensile strength of a cable, something of that effect. The, the, the integrity of it, the character of it, the makeup of it, how strong is it? And it's only determined when it's put under pressure. Uh, Bob Jones Sr. said this, that character uh, is measured by what it takes to stop us. D.L. Moody said character is who you are in the dark. And we find in Joseph that when no one was around, Joseph was the same person that he was when everyone was around. Now, why is that? Well, we see three things in what he says here. I want you to notice, first off, a sense of responsibility that he has. Look at verse number 8. He says, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. He understood the responsibility that he had. Let me tell you something. Your responsibilities that people have given you may not be wanted. They may not be appreciated. They may not be glamorous. They may not be the kind of things people clap for. But they're a responsibility just the same. And the responsibility of that lies on you, lies on me. Joseph didn't ask for this. You know what he would have done if he had been like me or you? He would have said, well, I didn't put myself in this situation, so who could blame me if I messed up and did the wrong thing? I didn't ask for these problems, so what's wrong with me making a mistake? After all, I'm only human. But no, instead he understood this, that though he may not have come looking for it, there had been a great responsibility entrusted to him, and he was going to treat it with the reverence and respect that it deserved. 
I think about the influence that we have on others. In fact, we see this in the text. He talks about the responsibility he has and, and what's been committed to him, but notice that he has a sense of his own reputation. It says in verse number 9, There is none greater in this house than I. Now, there's a lot of ways we can take that. And I understand that maybe the context of what Joseph is saying is he's saying, I have the greatest responsibility because I am in charge in this place. And, and your husband Potiphar has committed all these things into my hand and I, and I couldn't do him a disservice by, by betraying him and lying with you. But I think that there's another understanding that can be gained from that. When he says, there's, neither is there any greater in the house than I, I think maybe we could understand him to mean this. There's a lot of people looking up to me. There's a lot of people watching, Joseph. There's a lot of lesser servants that are paying attention to what I'm doing. This has probably been more present on my mind. You know, around the church lately, we just, we've had more pitter-patter of little feet, you know. And little kids running around everywhere. And we're at that stage in life. Me and those that are, well, my age. <laughs> we're at that stage in life. We're raising children. And I guess it's just extra present on your mind when you're raising children. But it's true not just of parents, but of everyone, that there are people watching us and seeing what we're doing. Joseph said, there's people watching me, and because of that, I've got to do the right thing, even when it's tempting to do the wrong thing. I've got people watching me, and so I've got to do my best to serve the Lord and bring glory to Him. But then notice he had a sense of retribution. Look at the end of verse number 9. This, I think, is really the key and the core of what he's teaching. He says, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Reminds me of what David said after he had sinned with Bathsheba in the 51st Psalm. He says this to the Lord. He says, Against thee and thee only. Thee and thee only. You know, the truth of the matter is, when we sin, it's really God we're sinning against. We may, we may try to transfer that upon someone else, but at the end of the day, it's, it's God's righteousness that's offended. And Joseph understood that God saw and watched everything he did. And they'd have to give an account for it one day. Let me tell you something. We'll have to give an account for every excuse we use. We'll have to give an account for every sin that we indulge. We'll have to give an account for every wicked thought we let pass through our head, for every lie that drops from our lips, for every moment that we could have done something different for every sin of commission and for every sin of omission. There's coming a day we'll give an account for it. The Bible says on that day that every idle tongue will be, or idle word will be judged. I mean, even the things we didn't think were that important. Maybe God thought they were pretty important. Joseph says, I understand I'm going to stand before the Lord someday. Well, we know how the story ends for Joseph. Potiphar comes home and learns the truth and pins a big medal on Joseph, tells him how much he loves him, how trustworthy he is, exalts him to the head of his house. Joseph lives out the rest of his days in prosperity. That's how it ends, right? No. No, instead we see the condemnation that Joseph encountered. Now, this is where it gets difficult. Because here's how it works. Here's the bargain we strike with God. God, I'm in a situation I don't want to be in. But I'll buck up and I'll do the right thing and I'll have the right attitude. But you better reward me for it. We better be careful about putting terms on God. Or we might just go from Potiphar's house to the prison house. Joseph didn't put any terms on God. But we find that three things took place. And I'm not going to dwell on them. I'm just going to touch on them. We find that his reputation was impugned. This was a man that knew God. And this was a man that people knew he knew God. And yet his reputation was drugged through the mud. Potiphar's wife... Uh, and you've read the story, you've heard it a hundred times, you've probably been taught it in Sunday school. 
Potiphar's wife makes advances towards Joseph. Joseph, day by day, did not hearken unto This wasn't just one time. This wasn't just a moment of weakness. She had set her eyes upon Joseph and made it her decision to destroy him. Day by day, he refused. And by the way, let me just say this. This wasn't the message, but the Lord brought it to my mind, so I think it needs to be said. You know, oftentimes we take the persecution of the enemy as an excuse to not serve the Lord. You know what Joseph could have said? I'm just going to quit going into work if there's that kind of temptation there. I understand we have to be careful with some of that. I understand we have a responsibility to stay out of situations that are, that are going to be a temptation to us. The psalmist said, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. I, I'm aware of that. But here's the thing. Joseph didn't bail on serving God in his circumstances just because the devil showed up to give him a hard time. Sometimes when we're serving God and we're going along pretty well, and there's things we don't like, but God's being good to us still, the devil comes along and begins to persecute and assault our life. And it's then and there that we fold and throw up our hands and give up and say, well, I tried. Here's the question. Not did you try, but did you succeed? Did you succeed? Did you do what you came to do? That's really the question, isn't it? Have you done what you came to do? Have you lived for the Lord the way you've wanted to live for the Lord? Not did you try, not why didn't you do it, but have you done it and will you do it? Joseph determined to keep going, even though there was a danger there. And so one day, she makes her mind up, this is going to be the day. She hearkens to him and he, she grabs hold of his garment and he runs out and leaves his garment in her hand. And knowing that She's in a compromised position and really just out of hatred, I think, of Joseph and out of feelings of being spurned. She cries out and says to the servants that he came in to mock us. In other words, he came in to advance upon me and to abuse me. And I cried out and he fled and he left. Well, Potiphar comes home. And by the way, you know those men? They were Joseph's co-workers. They were the other servants. They, they probably knew Joseph wouldn't have done such a thing. But still, it seems like that's what he gets for his troubles, right? We see he was impugned, but he was implicated in a crime. She, what she's saying is she's literally putting him in the place of being put to death. You understand that? I, it, folks need to understand what they're doing with their words when they use them. We live in an especially sensitive time of that in society today. It seems like you don't turn on the TV, but you're hearing about events happening all the time. And let me say that for an event like that to take place, it's the most awful and deplorable and wicked thing. There's no punishment in my mind fit for, for a man that abuses a woman like that. No punishment fit. Only God can judge them the way they need to be judged. But we also need to understand the power of our words, too. She was planning on taking his life with her lies. And she implicated him in a crime. But then notice he was in prison. Potiphar could have killed him. And we'll say a word about that in a moment. But he didn't. I don't know how much Potiphar believed or didn't believe. I don't know if Potiphar believed that Joseph just gave in to a moment of weakness and in his madness made advances on his wife and so he showed mercy on him. But here Joseph is. And I'll be honest now, if we were to stop here, every one of us would go out of this place discouraged. Because it's not a very encouraging story, it seems. Joseph's put in a situation he doesn't want to be in, but he has the right attitude, he serves God, he does the right thing, and yet here he is. He winds up in the prison house. 
his name in the mud, and his hopes dashed in despair. That's what he gets for his troubles. But let me say this. We not only see a condemnation, but we see a compensation in chapter 39. You see, it sort of depends on whose viewpoint you look at things from. If you look at things in a temporal situation or in a temporal perspective, things didn't go very well for Joseph. But we find three things that God gave him in his life. And let me just say this, that even when this sermon's over tonight, the story's not over. By the time we come to the end of Joseph's life, he's sitting on the second throne in Egypt. But we find in this immediate pause that we're going to take, we find three things that God compensated Joseph with that I think was worth every bit of his troubles. Notice first off, verse 21, the Bible says, But the Lord was with Joseph. Now, that's interesting. We've read that somewhere before, haven't we? Verse number 2, Before everything goes sour, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. Now, Joseph's about to enter into a time in the beginning of this chapter where God's going to prosper him. In fact, it says that he was a prosperous man. In some way, Joseph had come into financial well-being. Probably uh, he would have been treated more like almost a partner with Potiphar uh, than just your average butler or something of that sort. And probably Joseph was paid wages. And probably Joseph was allowed to uh, involve those wages in the investments and, and financial decisions that he made for Potiphar. God blessed those because he was blessing Joseph. And Joseph had become a prosperous man, but now everything's gone wrong. Here he is in the king's prison, and he's penniless. But the Bible says that the Lord was still with him. Let me say he had the presence of God in the midst of all these things. You know, the greatest encouragement to us, regardless of our circumstances, is to know that God will never leave us nor forsake us. God's not going to let it get too bad on you because he's going to be in there with you. He was in the king's prison with Joseph. God didn't forsake him. God doesn't forsake any that belong to Him. If you belong to Him, God won't forsake you. We see the presence of God, but we see the protection of God. It says that He was put in the king's prison. Now, let me say this. If Potiphar really believed what his wife said about Joseph, the normal course of actions would have been to kill Joseph. But God did not allow that to happen. I don't know if God spared him by convincing Potiphar that his wife was lying. I don't know if God spared him uh, just uh, by getting convincing Potiphar to have mercy because of the ways that God had blessed him uh, with Joseph's presence and with Joseph's labors. But in some way, God's protective hand, in the midst of everything going wrong, nothing took place that was out of the control of God. You say, my situation is out of control Preacher, no, it's not out of control. Maybe out of your control, but it's not out of His control. And when we realize that it may be out of our control, but it's in His control, He's got a better control of things than you and I do anyway. It's better off being in His control than being in our control. Then I want you to notice a third thing, and, and we're going to end with this tonight. We see not only the presence of God and the protection of God, but we see the providence of God. In Joseph's life. Notice again what it says. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. It's hard for us to fathom, and I'll say some more about this probably next Sunday night if the Lord tarries and lets us. We sort of think of all these things happening very rapidly. But somewhere in the narrative of Joseph's life, between when he was sold into slavery and when he stands before Pharaoh, 13 years passed. 
I do not know how long that he was in prison. If we assume he was in Potiphar's house no more than a year, and I don't know if that's a safe assumption, but with a woman like that in the house, uh, I'd say it wasn't much longer than a year, then we can assume that Joseph was in prison for somewhere along 12 years. 12 years he spent in prison. Or as many as 12. The psalmist said this, that they hurt his legs with fetters and his feet with iron. See, we think of this as a pretty rapid transition. That's not what the Bible says. Some would say, well, preacher, I thought it was two years. No. No, there was two years between when the butler forgot about him and when the butler remembered him. But very likely, Joseph had spent some considerable time in prison, long enough that it hurt his legs in the fetters. And that word denotes the idea of permanent hurt, injured. Very likely, the results of that could be seen through the rest of Joseph's life, maybe in the way he walked, or maybe in the appearance of his feet. And yet we find that if he couldn't, if he, listen carefully, if he hadn't been in Potiphar's house, then he would have never been in the prison, and he would have never been in the palace. What I'm saying is this, God's got a plan that He's effectually working in our lives. And you may not be able to figure out how your circumstances fit in. Join the club. None of us can figure out how our circumstances fit in. But all we can do is serve God in the midst of them and do our best to glorify the Lord. And I do know this, that when we don't understand the will of God, if we'll just do the will of God best we do understand it, then God's will will have preeminence in our lives. And we'll do what God would design it to do. You'll never convince me Joseph knew how the story was going to end. Probably Joseph, wherever he wound up, that's where he thought he was going to die. He probably thought he was going to die in the pit that his brothers put him in. Probably thought he was going to die in the hands of the Ishmaelites that carried him down into Egypt. Probably thought he was going to die in the hands of Potiphar. Probably thought he was going to die in the prison. We find out he did die in the palace. But the story doesn't even end there. God had a plan that went further than the grave because Joseph's bones were carried down to Canaan. So what I'm saying is this, that in the midst of all that, because he was willing to trust the plan and mind of God and serve God to the best of his ability, God got glory out of his life. And Joseph was the better for it. The commentary he gives on his life when he's before his brothers is this, that you meant this for evil. That's what you meant it for. You sold me into slavery and you set in course these events and you meant to kill me by doing it. You meant to do me evil. But there's a God in heaven that was watching over everything that took place. Now, here's the question. Do we believe that? Do we believe God has control of our circumstances? If we do, it'll cause us to serve Him and to serve others and to live for His glory and for His honor.